been very fortunate in the last couple of years to be able to meet and interview some of my absolute heroes and it was in February this year when I got a phone call from someone who says do you want to meet up with George Clinton I couldn't believe it he was in London doing some recording with the likes of Rudimental and several other British groups he had a couple of days off and he was up for an interview so I invited him to my basement and uh, coming up in the next hour and a half or so is some of that conversation that I had with him going all the way back to his early days all the way through to what he's up to right now we actually ended up going out that night to see Jalal Nuridin re-performing his incredible Hustlers convention. Watching George Clinton up on the balcony, watching Jalal was a mad moment. And uh, this interview was a mad day for me. George Clinton in conversation for yours truly, Giles Peterson. Man, I was in a place called Keep Running Mississippi one time. And I heard someone on my way by Sound a little something like raw funk to me So I slowed down and took a listen and this is all I could hear, baby
got so good to me, man, that I stopped running. My feet was tied anyhow. So I reached in my inside pocket and got my harp out. Sit down by old beat-up railroad train and get, get myself a little bit of that old funky thing. pleasure to be um, sitting with you George Clinton it's good to be here and uh, not only with you but I've also um, found an old friend of mine who introduced me um, to your music 30 years ago Louis Dury pleased to meet you <laughs> from Paris um, and uh, just magic that you're here so you've been in London what for what, the UK for a little while now right yeah almost a week uh, um, evening up here but last night when I saw Prince how was it fantastic I've seen him lots of times, mm. but boy, he was rock and roll. It was a rock and roll show for real. Sure. In the real sense of the word, the girls are bad. Yeah. Wow. He's he's in his element now for real. You think so? I think so. This is I mean, this is what I knew he could do all along. I mean, you know, you got to get hit records and everything, but rock and rolling like he was doing last night. Is what I like to see him do. And I mean, the whole concept about just sort of these surprise shows, turning up 20 odd shows, just, no one knew it was happening. There's a ticket at the last moment. It's very, it's very kind of George Clinton esque. <laughs> $10 even. <laughs> it was packed. And right. I've never seen six encores. I mean, over and over. I mean, he had done mm. well enough for everybody to be satisfied. Yeah. But he still kept coming back out. Yeah. And how long was the show? Uh, almost four hours. Almost well, three hours, rather. What's the longest show that you've you, that you personally have ever performed? About six, seven hours. Six, seven hours. We used to do like failure. <laughs> yeah. Just start playing in daybreak. We still be playing, especially in in New Orleans at a place called Tipitinas. You know they could keep the doors open people be out on the sidewalk listening to the music couldn't get in mm. and they served drinks out on the sidewalk and uh, we played at daybreak Fela you never played with Fela right did you? no I met him but I never, we never played with him but I know his whole whole history and how he said he used to pull up in just flatbed truck just plug in and start playing and people just start gathering around 
When you first started with Parliament Funkadelic, the parliaments and all that, was that basically in New Jersey? Or were, were you, New Jersey. Yeah, and did you? when did you end up in Detroit? When, when did that Mo- Motown, 62 or 3, I started working out there. 62, right. I started working out there. And by 66, we moved that. We got a hit record, but I want to testify. Mm-hmm. So we moved out that way.
Time Motown was the only place to be, you know, for that period from '59 to '69. You know, so if you had the choice between Los Angeles, New York, or Detroit, I'd not have been Detroit for that, no, without a doubt. Okay, I mean, even when I left, I went just across the water to Toronto and was up there for a minute. Mm-hmm. 
that's when, you know, 60s. 76, we stayed, you know, we left Detroit, 60, see, 71, left Detroit and went to Toronto. And about 74, 5 is when we started getting, you know, Parliament back again with Casablanca. Okay, but so the, what, what was the idea about going to Canada? Was it because, I mean, that it, seems odd. Well, you know, first of all, Boston, Toronto was like the, the rock and roll places to be. You know, and rock and roll had taken over for Motown by 69. You know, the, the British invasion to, <clears throat> took completely over by 69. And and it was much better. To, everybody that was leaving the States, I was too old to go to Army anyway. But a lot of my friends was up there. So when we played up there, we bumped into a lot of people we hadn't seen. And we found out Montreal and Toronto was full of R&B. Mm. R&B and rock and roll, so we mixed that that rock and roll and R&B together and played it loud, and it became funk.
looking at you, you looking in unbelievably great shape. You oh, know, I feel good. I feel yeah, good. I mean, I changed my lifestyle a little bit. <laughs> have you? I mean, is that? Oh wow, yeah, about two years, three years ago. Right, seventy-two now. So <laughs> yeah, and then chill out and do another turn and try to keep up again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going back to Detroit in that, that era because um, one of the people that I think I, I've, I've sort of tried to read a few interviews about you and obviously I'm, you know, fan. Sun Ra. Oh, yeah. And George Clinton. Now, what's the connection there? I, was it, well, you know what? I didn't even get a chance to meet him to just before he died, but it was in Detroit. A little cafe. I'd seen pictures and then I knew there were similar philosophies, you know. What was he? Saturn, and uh, I was into the Dog Star, you know, uh, serious. And you know, of course, Jim Hendrix was out there too. But I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to meet Sun Ra, and I thought that his music was basically jazzy. But after studying, he started with R&B, rhythm and blues, doo wop too. Sure, right in Chicago. Yeah. So then I saw how closely, you know, the, the costumes and everything looked a lot similar to hair and the, you know craziness. We looked a lot alike, but when I read his history. Some of the same groups that I like, you know, like the Flamingos and the Spaniels, before they became who they were, Sun Ra was their guard around the doo-wop times in Chicago. Mm. I had no idea. But then I met him in Detroit just before he passed. And so literally it took that long before you met him. You never came across each other no. in the 70s. Yeah. You did I meet his musicians. Yeah. I knew lots of them because... Like Miles or, or, or myself, a lot of people came through the band, and you know, and became you know great jazz musicians. So I took it for granted that that's what it was all about completely. Mm. But he had a great. Um, when I saw him, he was playing. He was playing. That was I'm playing my girl by the Temptations, but he was playing it from behind the piano, and that was deep enough. Just my head almost broke my mind trying to imagine him figuring the chords out from that position. Because I could look at Bernie Worrell and tell that it was deep. I didn't know how deep it was, right. but Bernie was like, he couldn't imagine it himself, and he's really classically trained. And so when I saw that, I knew that, yeah, he had a whole lot of music in him. <laughs> Oh, you made my dreams come true. 
Back to the history, Duke Ellington, um, George Clinton, Sun Ra, Art Blakey. You are all guys who have um, left a huge and a continuing, well, some of you, um, in fact, you're the last one. I mean, because all the others that sadly have passed, right? Art Blakey's passed and Sun Ra's passed. I mean, you know, there's the great jazz guys, a few, mm-hmm. you know, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter around. Wayne Shorter lived two blocks from me when he was growing up. He's from Newark, too, New Jersey. Right, right. He lived on Huntington Street, and I lived on Bergen Street. I had no idea. Him and Larry Young, Jr. Larry sang, you know, one of the competition. He was the bass singer of the group. That was one of our competitions. But when they would play, I thought the horn was broke. You know, I wasn't used to I told Miles that later, years later. Mm. But um, I mean, could you have become a jazz guy? Were you? Was that because I mean, I, I, I heard, I liked it in the barbershop. Everybody played it, but I was doo wop. My doo wop was very elementary, and that's where I was. You know, after Frank and Lyman, mm. platters, the flamingos, the spaniels. That was us. It, was, it would take a long time before I learned, before I appreciate. Jazz for all of that it was. I mean, that's all they played in the barbershop for the most part. Mm. You know, because all of our customers was older pimps and slicksters. So jazz was their was their thing, and it just seemed like music for grown folks. <laughs> and same way I felt about blues. You know, blues until I heard Cream doing Crossroad, and I'm saying that's that's what my mother used to listen to. Then I realized that's what the whole English invasion was blues and rock and roll from the late 40s right into the 50s. You know, by the time they got to twist and shout, I recognized that for myself, from you know, from the Isley Brothers. But I didn't know that the blues was going to be that big because I always thought that as grown folks' music. Yeah. And it took us until late 60s to appreciate that. You know, when we start doing Funkadelic, from Parliament to Funkadelic, then we realized that the blues and rock and roll was what 
the whole English invasion was about. Jimmy, it was like Elmo James, Lightning Hopkins, and you know that that was serious blues. But he had made something new out of it, you know, with the Marshall amps and the feedback. But I was into analyzing where everything was coming from, you know. And we just took the New Orleans style of funky music, slow, the mid tempo, not the slow blues, not the fast rock and roll, but the nasty. Get out of my life, woman. You don't love me. That was the basis of of Funkadelic in the beginning. Get out my life, woman. You don't love me no more. You know, adding on all of the craziness of of whatever you could, you know, dress up like and play it loud. And that's where we went. And from then on, I just knew how to mix anything together after that.
was just about mixing all different styles. And I didn't ever want to get in a bag. Like, after testifying, it was hard to get a hit record again. Was so, that important to you? Was having a hit record important? It wasn't important. And once I realized that that wasn't what I wanted, I wanted to be able to do music the way I wanted to do music. And trying to get a hit record, you have to stick with styles and everything. I just went, you know, into Funkadelic. I saw that we could actually do that, and you sell albums as opposed to 45s. And that's what that's when I just changed and went into Free Your Mind, Your Ass for Follow. And just because we were kind of late getting into Psychedelic. So I had to catch up. That's why I overdid it with the Free Your Mind and the Maggot Brain, the feedback. And it's, because we were late. Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time. For y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all. Who was ahead of you? Oh, Cream had been dead, retired by the but time. Who was ahead of you in the States, in America? Nobody in the States that much. It was all about the whole European thing. Yeah. I mean, nobody in the States. Motown was even late. I mean, you know, by that time, when they came, when the English invasion came over, everybody had to catch up. You know, so, but, and the one you have to catch up with would have been... You know, the uh, Led Zeppelins and, the, you know, all of the, And some of them had even went into classical rock and roll. Like Procol Harum and uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer, King Crimson. Yeah. It was like they didn't even stop at jazz. No, no. They, they went, went, just went on out there. So, they went folk. Yeah, with folk and everything else. Yeah. So by the time when we got to Toronto, that's when we found that out. We realized, okay, this is almost jazz. It's, almost, it's everything. Rock and roll was doing anything. So we did. We just did funk the same way.
I was going to say earlier on about when I was talking about Duke Ellington and uh, Art Blakey and these guys, what makes them extra special, like yourself and Sun Ra, is the fact that you also acted as very important inspirations to your musicians and your groups and uh, and you travelled together and you, you looked after them. It was a family, yes, that's true. And, I mean, that was an extra responsibility on you as a performer. There's George Clinton, the, the performer who's on stage. Um, you're the responsibility of kind of looking after the people, making sure they're there. I mean, you've got your tour managers and stuff, but, yeah. you know, so that was a lot of baggage to carry for you. But it also helps you, you know, you, you know, there's Parliament Funkadelic, then there's Bootsy, yeah. and then there's the Horny Horns. You know, then the girls, backup singers, everybody have a dream of becoming a star. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And if they all won, you could lean on, I was a bride. If the bride's got a hit record, I was a bride. I could feel like I'm a bride. Or if Bootsy got a hit record, I'm a rubber band. You know, we were all such a big family that it didn't matter which one was got the hit record because we was all together. I tried to teach them that, you know, to look after each other that way because one record ain't going to do it. One group, there's something called playing obsolescent. You will be obsolete in a certain amount of time. I don't care how bad you are. Sooner or later, the styles will change and you won't change with it, you know. So the more people you got, the more chances you've got for one of them to figure out, you know, what to do. And that's where we were. Bootsy got a hit record. We were right, Bootsy. He was the star of the show. Fred and them, Maceo, they was already stars with James Brown. So that that kept the whole thing. I'm here right now talking about it because it's interesting to some somebody. Yeah, we've been able to hang around and stay around. And then when hip hop came along, I did the same thing with them. Sure, it's funny. I was listening back. Um, in fact, on my radio show this week, I, I played a Fred Wesley. I played. Uh, I played Full Play. Oh, That's, and I suddenly saw that is a George Clinton. You wrote that, right? I, I just sampled it myself. I sample my own stuff now.
And I was into uh, one of the jazz guys um, was, um, hey, Daddy, what the dare? Oscar Brown Jr. Right. When I heard, then I realized you can talk over this. Yeah. And that gives you another style into it. And that was the one person I knew. I remember that voice in the barbershop. Hey, Daddy, what that dare? And why that under there? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, hey, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where they going there? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Hey, who that in my chair? And what she doing there? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, can I go over there? Hey, Daddy, what's a square? And where do we get air? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? My quizzical kid, man, he doesn't want anything here. He's forever demanding to know who, what, and why, and where. Inquisitive child, and sometimes the questions get wild. Like, Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Don't wanna comb my hair and wear my teddy bear. And oh, daddy, oh, hey, look at the cowboy coming there. Hey, can I have a pair of boots like that to wear? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? The time will march the Fellas, gonna grow, I gotta tell him what he needs to know Help him along so he'll know right from wrong, gotta make him strong As life's parade goes trudging by You'll need to know some reasons why I don't have all the answers But I'll try best that I can, gonna help him to plan so he'll be a man You give a kid your best And you hope he'll pass the test When you finally send him out into the world somewhere But though he's grown, I'm betting I never will forget And daddy kinda had a big elephant over there Hey, what they doing there? And how you work that there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy Hey, what dad say up there? Hey, daddy, what is fair? How come I got a share? And daddy, can I have a big elephant over there? The talk and the you know, lyrics over top of music worked. So that's when I started the whole rap over top of funk, funk music. Yeah. And not, not realizing that one day rap would be the, the whole thing. Sure. And that's what... Uh, Hip hop. That's why I'm so close to the hip hop people, because I understood what they were doing. As soon as I heard them doing it, mm. they were being DJs on record, mm. and that's what they were—MCs and DJs, just recording it while they're doing it. And that became the new thing. Still is right now. I mean, it's great to hear you talking about Oscar Brown Jr. like that, because I—that's a beautiful connection. Um, can we talk a little bit about the first Parliament album? Because uh, there was some crazy, crazy um, instrumentation on that, including bagpipes and all kinds <sighs> of stuff. And you're talking about that Procol Harum and that Britishness going on in there. You were definitely, you know, um, 
Oh would, Lord, oh Lord, why Lord? Yeah, the silent boatman, right? Yeah, and, silent boatman. Yeah. That was Ruth Copeland, who I did an album on her. She was from northern um, England. So I forget which city, but um, she was married to the, um, the A&R person at, at Invictus. So we did an album together, did her album, and she wrote with me on some of the Parliament stuff. Oh, so that was where the Englishness was coming in. That's where, yeah, that's where the bagpipes in the... Scottishness. Oh, Lord, why, Lord? And, yeah. And, um, and um, Silent Boatman... I mean, an incredible concoction of music was coming out of this sort of uh, unique, unique. Um, another group that was, I suppose, I see in the same sort of way as Rotary Connection. And <laughs> Sydney Barnes is at my house right now. Wow. Sydney, him and Minnie Ripperton did that group. And we laugh about that because we were partners as um, songwriters in Detroit. 61, 2, and 3. And um, after we got testified, we went. I went out on the road. So I left him there. And next thing I know, he was in Chicago. Him and Minnie, and they was doing 
uh, Charles Stephanie doing something called Rotary Connection, and we laughed like hell because it was psychedelic. Mm, I don't know what you call that, psychedelic. Soul. Soul, <laughs> classical. Yeah. I mean, because Charles Stephanie, he's, most people would know him from Earth, Wind, and Fire, mm-hmm. probably. But he did Minnie's albums, too, Minnie Ripperton. That was his version of psychedelic, but doing it classically. After testifying, we changed it to Funkadelic. Yeah. Sydney, so he, he got the idea. Right. And there was many. And the other one was Shaka Khan. She didn't get popular right then, but she was in Chicago at the same time with many. And all them were together. I never knew that. Yeah. They didn't, you know, she hadn't got with uh, Rufus yet. But she was a hippie running around with the long dress, no shoes. And so it was good to see all of them 
like click later on. And like I say, Sydney is in uh, Tallahassee, Florida right now. Well, and so on my new album. On your new album. Well, can you please send him all our love and okay. uh, and respect yes. and come and back and Sydney come and see Barnes, us? Yeah. Come and see us. I am the Black Gold of the Sun, and and all of that great music. Le Fleur. Um, I ain't got to tell him that because he'd be, he'd be glad to hear. It. He comes over here a lot to do the Northern Soul stuff. Right. Yeah. Because so, we we wrote a lot of those songs. Debonairs and Evan Starr, J.J. Barnes. We did a lot of that stuff in Detroit. And the Northern Soul stuff seemed like it came because of the flops of Detroit. Not the Motown records, but the records that didn't make it. I remember when they used to come out there and buy the 45s. And 15 years later, that was beginning to be the music in Birmingham and Manchester. And Sydney comes over, Pat Lewis, the other girl that was part of Don Dante's at Motown. We all was one big family there, and we still work together. Okay, so you were making these songs um, you were, as a writer, and um, for other people as well? Were you writing for, for others? Just yeah. the, the Holland, Dozier Holland route, the writing route, you're part of all that? Yeah, I did. Into something I Can't Shake It Loose, uh, Supremes did, Evan Starr, J.J. Barnes, I did a lot of that. I bet you Jackson 5 did at Golden World Records, which was the Rick Tick, which was the competition to Motown at the time. So that was your foundation. Yeah. And Writing, wrote for Joe Bat, worked at the Brill Building. That's where I started at 58.
can't live without you, baby.
talking about all this amazing writing you've done and and uh, and continuing with Parliament Funkadelic in your own career, and you're still completely active right now. There's been this big issue with your publishing company, which of course is quite big. You know, um, you can read all about it in a way, but I think it's a it's a lesson, right, for 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 people. I mean, has that are you getting to a situation with that? I got I got a book coming out now, my life story, right, and that whole. St- Story, I'll be here all day long trying to explain it. Sure. But that whole story is in there. All of that music became the foundation for the next 30 years, you know, of hip hop. And, and beyond. And beyond that. Yeah, beyond that. I mean, you know, we're still fighting over the music, but the book is coming out. And it explains all of that history of how that happened. Mm. So how were you getting paid all that time so you weren't getting... No. So it was just like playing live, live shows. Oh, I got paid live shows, that was it. Yeah. And we and were, record sales, but nothing... No, not record sales either. Not even record sales. No, not record sales. Yeah. But like I said, it's all in the book. Yeah, okay. I mean, when's that going to come out This in the next year? Next couple of months. Next couple of months, that's yeah. good. What's it, going, what's, what's it called? Brothers Beat You Like George. Okay. Ain't that funking kind of hard on you? I say I was hard when I started. I'll be hard when I get through. And uh, a new record? You recording something? That's the album. That's the album, too. I mean, that's one of the songs, Brothers Be You Like George. It's also the single that's coming out. And the the album is called First You Gotta Shake the Gate. You know, you don't walk up in somebody's yard and no shake the gate. might be a dog in there. And the gate I'm talking about is Stargate. You know, because I'm from the planet Sirius, the dog star. Just around the corner from Saturn. Just around the corner from Saturn. <laughs> so um, <laughs> this would make most people absolutely bitter, twisted, um, angry, all of those well, adjectives. You, got, you, you, all you this have to time. learn to take a joke in this business. Yeah. That's the first thing you have to learn to do. I mean, most of the time you're so out of your mind, you know, having fun, that it never gets to occur to you. Mm. I'm lucky enough that I think my dreams supersede to getting the highs and everything else. That I was able to, even though I was 72 years old, I still was able to stop in time to fight for that that music. Because it's not only mine, it's my heirs and all the other heirs of the people in the band that wrote and played it. So I feel lucky that I got a chance to like clean up, you know, with the help of my partner, Carline over here, Got me out of all that fun I was having. It wasn't no fun no more anyway. Mm. You know, that's the way things are nowadays. It wasn't even worth it. Mm. But I was glad that I'm still in love with the music. That's amazing. You know, that I can appreciate Drake. Um, You know, um, I just did a record with um, uh, Kendrick. Lamar. Lamar. Yeah. And like I said, over here, Josh Stone and... Rudimental, um, boy, just, just all this week. <laughs> I mean, so I'm still in love with making music. When you go in the studio to make music with these people, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Lyrics, singing, playing. What, what's your thing? Lyrics. Yeah, lyrics. In my mind, if they if they got some track that I like, mm. I pick out the track. Oh yeah, I, I can get to that one. And if it's a good funky track, a good funky groove, yeah, something will pop in my head that I can. Either, Jump into it, do it. Or I might have an idea a long time ago that I don't even mess with no more. Lots of that because good stuff don't go nowhere. You just wait for its turn to come in. What's the best lyric you've written? Um, What's the one that you're like most proud of? The, the one, song called Mathematics. 
Remind me of the lyrics on that one. I count the moments we're apart and add them up. They multiply them by the kisses supposedly I've been missing. Divide it by the attention, not to mention the affection. Subtract that from your gross potential. See, I ain't missing none. Because any percentage of you is as good as the whole pie. Any fraction thereof bring dividends of interest. I take the square root. I get boxed in every time. When I know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, I'm going to come into you two times and carry the fun over to where we equal one because any percentage of you is as good as the whole pie. Every itty-bitty kilo mega giga bit and bite of it, in spite of it, you can count on me. The truth is, I actually wrote that and sent it to Michael Jackson. Never got a chance to, you know, for him to hear it. It was you know, wow. Then I did it um, to pour for one of my albums, Nice Groove. But lately I did it with Sly and Kim Burrell. And I'm really proud not only of the song itself, but the, the way the session came turned out. Sure. Sly. That's, yeah. my, that's my boy. How is he? Crazy, but still doing good. He's on about four or five cuts on the album. Great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Stickers on a stick, shit up this cheek. Show me that you're gonna make a snivel away. Say you never make one, that's the one you're making. Gonna make a nigga run. Stickers on a stick, shit up this cheek. Show me that you're gonna make a snivel away. Say you never make one, that's the one you're making. Gonna make a nigga run. Oh, no, 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 Meow, 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 purr, 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 guide my whiskers, pet my tail. Meow, 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 
purr, purr, purr. Guide my whiskers, pet my purr. Meow, meow, meow. Purr, purr, purr. Guide my whiskers, pet my purr. Meow, meow, meow. Purr, purr, purr. Guide my whiskers, pet my purr. Guide my whiskers, pet my purr. Yeah, I treat it with hella respect, yo. Try to live with no regrets. So I don't get his ears hooked. Shot, no. But I'm a kitty cat vet, Black and white cat, Sylvester. She and he, black and desert. Not only her cat, but her claws are scary. But I beat them, it's a black Tom and Jerry. I'm Batman, also known as Catman. Got a cat woman, her little hot scoop, like a fat man. I'm off the wall like a tag man. I doctor a cat in a hat man. I beat them, it's a black and Tom cat. Cougar head going up and down like a bobcat. I treat it with hella respect. You can hear that like Uh, Shaggy Otis here recently. Yeah, I heard he was in town. Yeah, he was, you know, he was in the shadow, and again, he came a little bit later on after the slides of this world. But um, it was a tough time for you guys. A lot of, you know, the, you were out there on the edge. Who was who was looking after you? Who was kind of telling you, no, no, don't do that? You know, who were you listening to? Were you listening to anyone? Could you listen to anyone? Oh, I probably couldn't listen to, but was everybody I would listen to was out there with me. You know, we're doing from the 60, 68 on. I mean, everybody was having a party. That was the name in the game. I just didn't realize that at Woodstock, it was time to stop. Woodstock was the 
Pentacle. It was the how's you gonna go? And it's, you should have been able to go and get your job and settle down. But we were just getting started. It's okay. So. The first Woodstock. Hang on. Sorry. Excuse my ignorance. Did you play at the first Woodstock? No, I was on my way. We never. We got within thirty miles and just had a party on the side of the street. Couldn't get no further. Cars was lined up forever. So that was going to be who was going to? What band was performing there? Was we that? were just gone. We didn't know. It was better been Funkadelic in Parliament. But we were just going because it seemed it was like very loose at first. People were just coming in, you know. We was in Boston at the time. We was on our way there. How do your kids feel about your heritage and your stories of uh, of, of you know this most, time? Most of them actually seen it. You know, they grew up up in it. You know, and they glad. I, mean, I tried to apologize to them. You know, later on. When I started feeling bad, I tried to apologize to him, you know, being crazy, locked him in the room. My daughter told me, that ain't crazy. I remember when you, when you used to walk around looking at the walls, talking about beautiful, beautiful. And she wasn't four years old at that time. I, you know, she remembered that. <laughs> but she, oh, yeah, you and mommy. She said, I remember y'all used to walk around, you know, she's talking about 69, I mean, 70. And then I said, well, let me shut up. I can't even apologize. They in the group now. Most of them sing with us in the group. And you got this TV show, right? Yeah, it's called The Clintons. Yeah, tell me about it. It's, well, it's my five granddaughters, my grandson, two grandsons, and their father, my son Tracy, and um, my wife's daughter, which is my stepdaughter, and her. So it's going to be a bunch of music. They all either sing, play, or rap. Wow. So anyway, George, um, album on the way, um, book on the way. You've got your TV show. Family's doing well. Um, you're looking healthy and feeling great and positive, enjoying a print show. Oh, that was... I feel good about you. You're going to go and do a gig with him? You're going to go and do something? Oh, we probably do some. You know, we've done a lot of things together. I was, he's my boss for two albums, Cinderella Theory and Smell My Finger. Good boss? How was he? Oh, very good. Too good. Yeah. The first album was too good. You got too, paid? It was too nice. Yeah, paid. <laughs> too nice. You know, he didn't want to interrupt, but I told him, no, interrupt, because I like mm. his thing. I know what he can do. Yeah. Most people I wouldn't trust with Funkadelic. But him, yeah. So we did Smell My Finger. He, he played a lot on that, and it was, that's, I feel good about that album. Do you love being George Clinton? Yeah, I can get away with George Clinton. Most people don't recognize me. You know, before George, I enjoyed that too because it's all part of the thing, and I've always accepted that. I know how to get away when I need to. When the when fans catch me, I ain't gonna give my secret away. But <laughs> okay, and um, concerts-wise, um, tell me about your your favorite moments. I was watching a concert. In fact, the last time I saw you was in 2004 in Montreux Jazz Festival with uh, Claude, oh, with Claude Nobbs up on stage and his uh, called, um harmonica. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we end up going to his house and finishing that jazz. You've done that a few times, right? Yeah, right. No, ninety. Uh, Quincy had, um, yeah, he, he was curating for a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I remember that concert for myself was a great concert. Yeah, that's the one we put. The, I think we put an album out of, on that. A live album, yeah. yeah. And there was the violinist. There was a girl playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lily Hayden. She's on the new album too. Right, yeah. right. And the singers as well. There was uh, the, all the singers there. There was some some, some great stuff. What's been your best ever concert? The one that you would go back to and go, "This is the one I want to nail." I had quite a few of those. Yeah, I bet they have. It's difficult, right? Yeah, you that's a stupid question. Yeah, different styles, different kind of music, different places. Mm. Boston, 
We could actually do Motown songs and they would love them. What's this? The, we go to show the Deadheads, Grateful Dead fans. Whenever we played, and that's a lot, big part of our audience. Whenever we play one of those type of shows, there's lots of fun because we're not restricted. I don't have to go out and think. I have, usually I have to look at the audience and see what should I do, a parliament, an OP funk, or a psychedelic, or punk, or hip hop, because we have enough people to do any one of them. Sure. But um, when it's like Deadheads, the fans say, don't even worry about it. Your folks is out there. <laughs> you know, and it'd be like that. They'd be young to old. They like anything you play. They like music. So so all of those shows are really great. So it's hard to pick out one. Is there a particular place that you'd love to go to? It never fails. Never fails. We played the Roundhouse in 68. It was crazy. I mean, we had the most fun, you know, that almost three, four weeks we were here. But we played all over, you know, England. North Leeds, Tom Bridge Wells, Cornwall. Right, yeah. All those places. It's always fun over here, you know. But like I said, nothing like the Roundhouse. I'd love to have seen that concert. I would have loved to have seen Pink Floyd in the Roundhouse. Did, that, did you get a chance to see them at that time? Not, not, I've seen them later, but not yeah. at that time. I knew all about how, you know what they were doing back then. That was one of the other ones that made us think about the theatrics. You know, the Who, Tommy, um, um, Sergeant Peppers. You know, like the album that made me know we had to do a concept album. You know, funk opera. But like I said, Pink what? Floyd really did it with it. Their, their wall and, and all. Yeah. Stayed on the charts for what, five years or yeah. so? Mad concept album doing doing the business. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. So, out of all the British bands, the, the British um, invasion, the British feeling, which band was it that you'd have liked to have performed with and done a collaboration Led, with? Led Zeppelin. Right. I mean, of course, you know, the Beatles was out of the, off the planet, so, you know, of course that. But as far as just playing and yeah, but Led Zeppelin to me was all of that rock, and it was funky. You know, a lot of people may not even relate to it as funk, but it was funky. You know, that stuff, you, you do what they call chop and screw, you know how they slow stuff down. Take a Led Zeppelin record and do it to it. You find some of the funky stuff you ever heard. Been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wounded a woman never bargained for you Lots of people talking, few of them know Soul of a woman was created
I need to ask you a quick question, a question as well about the fact that you were doing this music as a, as a, as a black man in America. Going to the more conservative areas, what were they making of you? We were too black for white folks and too white for black folks. But the fans that liked us, no matter black or white, stayed with us forever. And they could see that our fan base was growing and growing and growing. They thought we were um, temptations on acid. That's what the writer, that's what the journalists would say. That's what they used to think, you know, Apollo Theater was like, what the hell did y'all do with your suits? What the hell did you do to your hair? Mm. You know. But I was probably the crazy one at first. <laughs> well, yeah, right, okay, I get it. Um, and what about Snoop? Has he has he um, done something with you yet? Because he owes a lot to you. Oh, right? that's my, I did his first very first record. Yeah, because he's doing name? a lot at the moment. He's working with a lot of people. Again. Oh yeah, he's in the funk now. He yeah. got, got his funk band together. But his first record, what's my name and all that with Dre. So I knew Dre. When he was a kid. They was DJs at a little club, and they called it Uncle Jam's Army. They got it from my album, so before they ever put a record out as NWA, you know, I knew them. George, um, what can I say? Thank you very much. But your career is just remarkable, and you keep pushing forward since. I'm just getting started. Inspiring, as I can see that. Thank you very much.
turn this mother out. 